Ashley, and welcome back. Uh, good to see everyone this morning. I know that uh, this morning feels uh, a bit different from perhaps the days that we have had, uh, especially with the rain. But hey, if you are uh, from Seattle, <clears throat> then uh, this is no surprise to you. Uh, so again, my name is Prentice. I get the privilege to be lead pastor here. Uh, at this church, and whether you are watching online, which I know many of you still are, or whether you are here, I'm just so glad that you made it uh, this morning. Uh, as Ashley said, we are starting a new series uh, called Fruit of the Spirit. And if you've been around the church for a while, you know what I'm talking about, that, that the Bible oftentimes talks about the fruit, oftentimes the Bible says for us to bear fruit, and the fruit uh, consists of joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity. Uh, and so I look at that passage uh, in that calling in our lives, and I have to confess, uh, a lot of times I don't necessarily exude that kind of fruit. And so this morning and really for the next several weeks, we want to talk about each fruit uh, well, really just one fruit, but inside the fruit of how we are to resemble it, especially the way God calls us to do. So before we go there, I also want to congratulate. There are several graduates uh, uh, at our church and who has uh, graduate, graduated this weekend. And so congratulations to you. And if you're here, congratulations to you as well on a, a, such a special achievement and accomplishment I will continue to be praying for you and what's next uh, that God has for you. And so with that said, let's pray real quick and uh, we'll get started. God, thank you so much for this day. Even though there's rain, we thank you. When there's sun, we thank you. No matter what, we thank you. And so God, uh, this morning as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit within us, God, would you help us to, to learn more about it and learn more on how to practice it and to exude it onto others. May we be people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, of justice, of loving others, and loving ourselves as well. We thank you in your name we pray. Amen and amen. For those of you that know me, uh, and maybe you, you don't, there's a sport that I've been practicing, that I've been passionately practicing for, for several years now, uh, close to 10 years, uh, and it's this sport called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, okay? It's a martial arts. I grew up doing martial arts uh, all my life, uh, and it's something I still do today. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, when I was doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu during practice with, with my teammates, <clears throat> there was a moment where uh, we go up against each other, and we go do a friendly uh, sparring session at the end of every class. Uh, it's just a good way to, <clears throat> to train and to get better and to improve and to help each other out. Uh, and this one particular night, uh, this person did, got on top and did a move on me on my arm and bent my arm in ways that I didn't know that my arm could go. Uh, and although that's all good and fair, that's all part of the game and the sport, for some reason, something clicked inside of me, and I got really upset. 
I got really angry. And again, this is nothing that this person did. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. Uh, and yet, out of, maybe out of pain, maybe out of frustration, maybe out of something that I was supposed to do that I didn't do, I got really angry, perhaps even with myself. And something clicked within, within me, and I got extremely angry. And I don't know if you've ever felt that kind of anger before, but at that moment, uh, I felt a little, I, I don't know, maybe embarrassed or maybe humiliated. Because although this sport is a high contact, you know, it's a martial art sport, it also includes uh, strategy, it also includes movement, it also includes outsmarting the person that you're going up against. And, and I wasn't able to do that. And, and out of anger, uh, and for that brief moment, I felt like, the Incredible Hulk. And I don't know if you've had this Incredible Hulk moment where it's out of so much frustration and so much anger that you were able to do something with your body that you weren't able to do. And, and, you know, and maybe it's even what I would call the, the ultimate warrior effect. And I just dated myself because I grew up watching pro wrestling and there was a guy named Ultimate. Anyways, it doesn't matter. But I remember having this effect where I was like, okay, I'm really angry. And so I've reversed the position I then got on top, and all I know is the way that I was moving and behaving and acting was out of anger. And after all said and done, my training partner came up to me and said, hey, are you okay? I said, yeah, you know, and really I wasn't. And I said, why do you ask? He said, you seem really upset. You seem really angry that I did this, and you responded that way. And I had to be honest. I had to apologize and said I was sorry because the reality was, yes, I was really upset. There's something that clicked within, uh, within inside of me. And I remember coming home, and I felt a sense of guilt and shame. And I remember talking to my wife, Maria, and I was just saying, I don't know what came over me. I don't know why I got so angry. I don't know why I behaved the way I behaved. I don't know why I did what I did. And, you know, when Paul, who wrote Galatians, he actually wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, there was a part in Romans, when he was writing to the letter of Romans, which we're not really unpacking this morning, but I really resonated with him when he said this in chapter 7. He says, I and hear the internal struggle in his voice and his heart. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And then he says, uh, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. It almost sounds like a tongue twister, but stay with me. For I do not do what the good I want to do, but the evil I do, not, but the evil I do, I don't want to do, but this still keeps on going. I mean, let me read that verse again. I, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I don't do, but what I hate, I do. I mean, have you ever had that internal struggle? Have you ever asked yourself the question that I asked myself as I walk into that house that evening? Why did I just do that? Why did I think that way? Why did I behave that way? Why was I so angry? And if I'm correct, I would imagine that many of us have done things where we ask ourselves, we confront ourselves, and we have to say, what in the world was I thinking why did I do that? Maybe it's the way you treated a friend, a spouse, a family member, the way you talked to them, the way you treated them. 
Maybe it was decisions you made at work just to get ahead a little bit. Maybe it was something you did to increase the digits in your bank account. Maybe it's something you did impulsively, and perhaps it's a skeleton in your closet that no one knows about to this day. But my point is, there's oftentimes, like Paul, we have this internal struggle in our brains and our hearts and our souls saying, why am I like this? Paul is asking the same question we ask all the time. He was describing this internal struggle that encompasses all, all of humanity. And then Paul continues in the, in, in the text that we read in Galatians. And, and he gives a little bit of good news within this internal struggle of why do I do this? Why did I do that? With all of our regrets and, and the mistakes that we've made, Paul says, you know, there's a better way to live. There's a, there's a better way to go about this. And that's where Galatians comes from. He said there's a solution. And it almost sounds simple, right? In all these weeks, it seems like the Bible has these simple answers that oftentimes aren't so simple. And Paul says this, in the moments of these questions, when we confront ourselves in the mirror asking, why do, we, why do I do this? Why did I do that? Why do I choose to, to treat others that way? Why do I choose to perpetuate injustice and even systemic racism and even pain in other people's lives and all these things? Why do I do this? And Paul says, there's a better way to live. And it's simply, he says this, in Galatians 6, 5, 16, it says, So I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. It's almost, again, there's this internal battle within us. And the question is, what are and who are you going to choose to be like? to emulate, to pursue. And the simple answer, he says, so I say, walk in the Spirit. In the Greek word, this, in the original language, the word walk is peripateo. And really, it translates as to walk, to walk about, to roam. Uh, but it's a participle, and if you're familiar or if you remember your grammar classes in English, Parcel means it's an action word. It's doing something. It's a verb. And so what Paul is suggesting is that within our faith, when we want to do good, when we want to do right, not just uh, in our actions, but even in our thoughts, in our minds, in our language, he says to walk in the Spirit. There's something about our faith that we have to be very intentional about, that it doesn't happen just automatically, but it's something that we have to pursue. And he says the way that we pursue a right life, a good life, making good decisions where we can look at ourselves and be proud of ourselves and to know that we emulated and reflected the love and the image of God is to walk, is to do something. And this was very intentional that Paul was saying to walk in the Spirit in Galatians. You see, the context of, what Paul is, of where Paul is writing is to the church of Galatia, uh, and the Church of Galatia would be modern-day, well, it's Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Uh, and in Galatia was a very diverse population. Uh, there was a lot of Jews. There was a lot of Gentiles. There was a lot of everybody in between. Uh, it was a very diverse population. 
And there's two uh, major groups that were there. There were uh, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And you can kind of guess, uh, a lot of them were recent converts to the way of Jesus. Uh, ones that converted from Judaism and ones that converted from, uh, well, basically whatever religion that they were practicing. And within the Jewish Christian converts, there was even a smaller group uh, that uh, historians called Judaizers, okay? And so what they did was uh, they would teach, especially the Gentile converts, that in order for you to be a Christian, to follow the way of Jesus, you have to go through the vehicle of Judaism, so in order for you to be a Christian, to even follow Jesus, you have to obey the rituals, you have to do the food ceremonies, you have to do the cleansing, you have to get circumcised, you have to, you have to avoid certain food, you have to eat certain food. Uh, and it was, it was essentially contrary to everything that Paul was preaching, because you have to understand, Paul was saying, in order to receive salvation, in order to pursue God, in order to be in faith... The, the basic understanding is you have to believe in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and follow after Jesus. That's it. That's it. When you consider this old life where we used to live, you know, making bad decisions, pursuing the wrong things, saying the wrong things, treating people uh, wrongly, Paul is saying, there's a better way to live. Just live by faith. Jesus is the answer. Jesus will change your life. Jesus will change your heart. And what these Judaizers were saying in Galatia was saying, you know what? That's not right. What Paul is preaching is incorrect. What you really have to do is now obey all the rituals and the ceremonies. And if you don't do that, then you really aren't a true Christian. You have to do these things. Essentially, it's Jesus plus these rituals. That's what the Judaizers were proclaiming. And so Paul says this in response to that, and actually back in chapter 1, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He's saying what you believe is actually not even a gospel message at all. Because what he's saying is that anytime we add something to Jesus, the gospel is no longer the gospel. Because the gospel is all about the faith in Christ and Christ alone. And because of that faith, Christ will change our hearts and our minds and transform us. And anytime we add a plus, the gospel is no longer the gospel. And he says that in verse 7, which is really no longer the gospel at all. Evidently, he says, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus. And the word pervert in Greek has this meaning of just going backwards. He's saying, you're going backwards. You say you found this new faith. You say you're going to do things differently in life. You say you're going to act differently, you're going to live differently, you're going to love differently. And yet, here we are, you are actually going backwards. So what he's saying is, yes, in the moment we ask ourselves, why do we act this way? Why do I live this way? Why do I treat others this way? 
He says there's a solution to walk in the Spirit, which is contrary to what the message was, was that you have to do things and add things than just walk in the Spirit. We call that nowadays behavior modification. What the Judaizers were teaching is, you know what? You have to change your behavior. You have to add things. You have to subtract things. And oftentimes, what Paul understands, what we really understand is that behavior modification, oftentimes, most of the time, does not lead to heart transformation. In fact, the pressure of modifying our behavior to do things differently oftentimes end up failing. And that failure ends up leading to shame and guilt. And oftentimes we just give up. And what happens oftentimes what we do is we turn our faith into something that we have to achieve. And I say this all the time. Oftentimes the biggest problem is we let religion, which is the things that we think we're supposed to do to earn the love of Christ, to be transformed by the love of Christ. That's religion. Religion gets in the way of our faith. Because again, when you add the plus anything after Jesus, the gospel is no longer the gospel. And it ends up being hurtful. Remember uh, in high school, my youth pastor always uh, recommended these books on dating. I don't know if you've ever read these old school books on dating, but there was an author, his name was Joshua Harris, who was a well-known, you know, Christian dating book author, and he had books like I Kiss Dating Goodbye and uh, Boy Meets Girl and all these, and I read it all. Our whole youth group, we, we read it all. Uh, and there were some really good principles in there, uh, but the thing that we all concluded was that this book was all about, or several of these books were all about, okay, there's, the, there's things that you have to do in your dating relationships that will please God. And if you don't do it, it won't please God. In fact, uh, it's almost like you would get in trouble. Uh, you know, one of the principles was that uh, dating should only be about leading to marriage, right? And if you don't do that, then you did it wrong. You did something incorrectly. Uh, and I thought, well, okay, but how do you know you might want to marry somebody if you haven't got to know them? Uh, because the assumption was you immediately just Figure it out. And if you don't do it that way, then you're doing something wrong. And there's so many different examples that uh, he gave in the books. Now, I'm not trying to uh, throw him under the bus because as of recently, the last couple of years, he came out with this documentary and other books apologizing for the ways that he has hurt people. Uh, that in his books, and he would confess this. In fact, sadly, he left the Christian faith because of all Uh, the hurt that he believed he caused. Uh, In his books, he talked all about in order for you to do things right in the eyes of God, you have to live and behave and change this about yourself. And yes, these are all good principles, but the point is, and the point that Paul is trying to make is, if you just focus on behavior modification, then you're just going to end up at a dead end. You have to actually have a heart transplant. In Psalms 37, and again, I love this verse growing up because it was very beneficial for us to recite and to believe and to grasp onto. Uh, Verse 4 says this, Take delight in the Lord, 
and he will give you the desires of your hearts. And I remember interpreting that as a teenager and even as a young adult saying, okay, the Bible says take delight in the Lord. Okay, so delight in the Lord, you know, love God and and be good and whatever it is. And then as a result, he will give us the desires of our hearts, whatever our hearts desires. If I want it, then like a magic genie, I wish it and all all of a sudden God will give it to me. That's the way I interpreted this passage. But in a deeper understanding, that's not what this verse is saying. The verse is actually saying is, yes, delight in the Lord. And when you delight in the Lord, the desires of our hearts change. It's no longer the the desires that we just uh, come up with on our own, but it's desires that are filled by the Spirit, by God. It's almost like, you know, I remember thinking about, like, my birthday wishes. You know, as a young child, my parents would, you know, have me write down a list. Okay, what do you want for your birthday? And like any other 10, 12-year-old, I would say, I want a new bike. I want new video games. You know, I want, you know, all these, like, fun toys or whatever it is. That's what my heart desired. But as I grew older and as I matured, I the list looks a little different. And this is how I knew I was maturing or or getting older, is that now my list wasn't video games and toys and all those fun things. Now it was socks, right? Now now my wish list uh, was, you know, practical clothing items or pens or pencils or journals or books. My desires of my heart transformed away from video games and bicycles. Not, not that there's anything wrong with that, because there isn't. I think at a certain age, that is what you should pursue. But as I, got, as I matured and as I looked at life differently, those things started to change. And so what Paul is saying, and oftentimes when we want to pursue the things that we shouldn't pursue and we ask ourselves, why am I pursuing this? Why am I doing this? Paul is saying, don't just think about being mad at yourself and entering into shame and changing your behavior. He says, change your heart and the things that you desire to do and want to do will no longer be this, but it'll be this. Well, what is that? In Galatians 5.22, he says, when we have a heart transplant, when we delight in the Lord, when we walk in the Spirit, no longer are we going to want to pursue the things that Paul was internally wrestling with. Paul's like, why do I do this? I know what I'm supposed to do, and that's what I want to do, but the things I don't want to do, I actually do, even though I know it's wrong. And Paul answers his own question. He says, well, delight in the Lord. He says, walk in the Spirit, because then and only then does your heart change. It's not behavior modification, because that doesn't last. Now your heart will no longer desire this. Not that everything will be perfect, but your heart will now desire this. Well, what is this? He says, but the fruit of the Spirit. You'll, you'll bear fruit. You'll grow fruit. You'll be filled with love. Joy, peace, forgiveness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And then he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
So it sounds simple. Delight in the Lord. And I wonder, and I ask myself, well, what does it mean to delight in the Lord? Well, it means to build, build intimacy with God. <clears throat> it means to love God and others. It means to connect with the Spirit. You know, not too long ago, uh, Marie and I were talking about going out on a, a date night. And I said something like, well, date night, I, you know, we're, we're together all the time. Like, do we have to go out tonight? Don't ever say that, you know, to your significant other or to your friends. And, but what I meant was, you know, we, we work together. You know, we're, we're working, you know, remotely and we are inside the house 24-7, and, you know, we used to even share the same office in our own work. That lasted about six months, and I moved to a different room. Uh, but my point is, you know, we, we work together. We see each other. We talk with each other. We're in the same house together 24-7. Do we really need to go out tonight? And she adamantly said, yes, we do. Because just because we share the same house together doesn't mean that we're building intimacy. It doesn't mean that we're connecting. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we're even talking because oftentimes we're doing our own work. And so just like any other relationship that we have in our lives, again, whether it's a significant other or spouse or friend or family member or neighbors or whoever it is, just like those relationships, it's important that we delight and walk in the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? To build intimacy with God. To listen, to meditate, to read what God has to say. To meet with mentors and people uh, of, of faith and be in community. To show up to church and worship and sing together. Building habits in our lives. Spiritual practices. And again, I don't want to go back to legalism, okay? Because this isn't about, well, in order for God to change your heart, then you have to read the Bible for 30 minutes. Then you have to go to church every Sunday. Then you have to pray before every single meal. No, that, that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when we pursue God in practical, intangible ways like we do any other relationship, when we do that, there's a byproduct that comes out of that. And what is that? That is bearing fruit. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness. And so my hope and my prayer for myself, for this community, for all of us, is that we would do something that sounds very simple is that we would just walk in the Spirit, that we would delight in the Lord. I know that sounds so abstract, uh, but the point is to build intimacy and relationship with God just like we would with any other person. And what we'll see is that out of that deep love and intimacy and connection with God, there's a byproduct that is birthed. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. So don't pursue behavior modification. Yes, it's important that we're very intentional about the way we love, about the way we treat people. But know that when we are in sync with the Spirit, those things naturally become a part of us. And so I want to invite Taylor back up as we continue 
in worship. And as we sing this song, as we pray, as we meditate, would you just do this for me? Would you even close your eyes and even think about areas in your life that you just need to walk in the Spirit, where you need to delight in the Lord? Will you have forgiveness for yourself for the ways that you have failed? For the ways that I have failed? For the ways that we have failed as a church, and if, again, I say this often, uh, if 2020 and 2019 expose anything about us, especially as a church, not just individuals, but, but as a church, there are many areas that we have failed to love, to care, to pursue justice. And so in these moments, will you and will I together, will we pray that we would be so intimately connected with God that out of that intimacy will bear fruit. As a byproduct, we will love, we will find joy, we will find peace. We will be kind, we will be good, and we will be faithful. Let's pray. God, thank you. That you do the work within us. We don't have to try to achieve anything. And the more that we try to achieve certain behaviors and certain things and certain levels, that ultimately we become disappointed. And so, God, may we first start with our relationship with you. May we pursue you. May we delight in you. May we walk in your spirit and allow that relationship to change our lives in the way that we treat others and the way that we show up in the world. So God, thank you for your patience, your kindness, and your forgiveness for us as individuals and for the church. May we do better. May we be driven and led by your spirit and your spirit alone. Let's continue with this last song together.